Welcome to my new BFF. I'm Cody Elaine Oliver, co-creator of Black Love, and I'm joined here today by someone that I have really wanted to sit down with for a while. Um, She's a mother of three, like me, and her oldest, Noah, is three years old, and she's a fellow twin mom to Skye and Jordan, who are two. My twins are also two. Actually, I think they're about a week apart. Um, And a licensed marriage and family therapist, CEO, entrepreneur, and wife to NBA star Russell Westbrook. So please welcome, hopefully my new BFF, Nina Westbrook. (laughs) Yay. Thank you for having me. Of course. So first I have to, as I mentioned earlier, geek out with my mommy fix. I just remember seeing you probably pregnant on social with twins and seeing your older son. And I was like, we were on the same path. I mean, I had a two-year-old when you had a one-year-old and we were both having twins. When were your girls born? The girls were born November 17th. Mine were born November 12th, my boys. Wow. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's what started it all, but learning little by little things about you and having been a basketball star myself in high school, feeling like <laughs> one day I, I, I could have like Nina Westbrook is me. I am her. She is me. But I wanted to first ask you a question that I ask everyone. It's really important to me. Who has taught you the most about love? It can be anyone. It can be good or bad. But who in your life has taught you the most about love? So first off, I want to say that I think that it's insane how much we have in common. And I know you guys can't see us right now, but we actually have the same bun and color sweatshirt on. Yep. Just so you know. I don't know what's (laughs) going on, but it's it's pretty crazy. Dare I say twinning? (laughs) Twinning, (laughs) literally. Oh my goodness. Okay. So um, who has taught me the most about love? I don't know. I feel like my parents probably, especially my dad. I was the only girl. I had three brothers. Mm. And so I got all the loving um, growing up. Um, My dad and my brothers were very attentive and caring and loving towards me they always made sure that they were encouraging me and lifting me up and telling me how amazing and great I am. And I love it. I would always tell them that you have to stop. This is too much. No, I'm not going to be Tiger Woods. No, like you're (laughs) just calm down a little bit. Like I, so that's the kind of dad um, that I had. He was just very much so um, in love with his children and and um, it, he definitely showed that. So dad and three brothers, you said? I have three brothers. So there was no man, nobody was going to treat you wrong. No, I mean, and then also I learned so much because I obviously had a lot of men around all mm-hmm. the time. So mm-hmm. I kind of got the lay of the land early as, as it pertains to how, how men act and how guys behave. So that that turned out good for me, I think. And as I grew older and started dating. You, as you or as I mentioned, you played basketball, of course, in high school and then in college at UCLA. And we chatted a little bit earlier about the fact that, you know, I kind of wish I had played in college. You know, some may argue that that was 
So I went to private school, but we were very competitive and um, played all the public schools. So I thought we were pretty good. And it was just frankly one of my favorite, you know, I, I actually did volleyball, basketball and track. So it was one of my favorite sports. And I tore my ACL my senior year of high school. So for me, like, mm. that's why it just kind of ended there. Um, but for you, you you kind of fulfilled one of my dreams. How, what was that like for you having, did you have any sort of college experience or was it focused on sports? Okay, so I think I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. So college was, I, I was not as social as I would have liked to be in college. Um, I met my now husband, like, basically as soon as I got there. Um, and so I was kind of booed up the whole time. <laughs> I went to parties sometimes, um, but playing sports was, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a really good time. I did deal with a lot of injuries. Um, I, I had a couple of labrum tears, which I had to have surgery on. So there was a lot of recovery and rehab wow. involved. Yeah, I get um, it. We, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot different than high school. You probably got out right on time, right before all of the like, um, intensity was there and it it has a tendency to kind of take some of that like innocent fun out of it that we, we, we love when we're playing, um, in high school or in my club team. So, Mm -hmm. um, I learned a lot. I made a lot of friends. And it was a good experience overall. Yeah. And so when you were there, did you study therapy? Like, were, was that your plan to be a marriage and family therapist while you were in college? It was my plan. Um, but I did actually really enjoy writing as well. And dare I say it, reading. <laughs> so I majored in English because of sports. Like you mentioned earlier, a lot of my time was wrapped up in practice, rehab weightlifting, traveling, and then tutoring. I did. I loved tutoring. Wow. (laughs) It was mandatory for us. But at the same time, I was a bit like, you know, I, I, I welcomed the free support. Yeah. Yeah. So I would study and read and I studied English and I did like my prerequisites for master's for my master's program in psychology because the the mm. psychology program at UCLA most of the classes were during my actual training hours which was a bummer. Mhm. So ultimately you did you finish uh your masters at UCLA as well? No. So I got my I finished my prerequisites. I got my masters from Chicago School of Professional Psychology after I graduated from UCLA it's in and it was a really amazing experience. And I met a lot of really cool people. Yeah. And I felt very prepared afterwards. So that was really good. So I would like to sort of catch up to you now are all are doing all of these things, which, you know, presumably, Mm -hmm. you know, you're living in your career that you've wanted since college. You're married Mm -hmm. to your college sweetheart with three beautiful babies. You have started several businesses since. How did you stay focused on those things as well as, of course, the moves required with, you know, your husband being, you know, NBA player and birthing these babies? Did you have to make sacrifices? What did that look like for you? Oh, my goodness. Um, I feel like my whole life has been like a sacrifice in a way. Yeah. It's just challenging. I think that being adaptable is one of the my biggest strengths. 
even my husband and I, like going into like life in general after college, we discussed the fact that we don't really know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Um, yeah. We both are big dreamers. I'm a big dreamer. I have lots of ambition and goals and things that I'd like to achieve in my life. And so um, I knew that being creative and trying to figure out a way and a path that best fits me Mm -hmm. was going to be a huge part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so I think committing to that at the very, at the very beginning, before even going into it, is like I'm, we're, I'm going for it, and whatever happens, I'm gonna adapt and make it work and make yeah. it happen. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It has helped me to kind of just take things as they come and still continue to follow my dreams and my passions mm-hmm. despite the obstacles. Are you a planner? Would you say that you're like one of those people who's like, I'm going to do this by this age. I'm going to do this. You know, are you that person? I used to be. Mm. I used to be a planner. But because of our life, my lifestyle, moving my husband's career, I've had to completely abandon that idea that things are just going to go according to plan all Mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah. I go, I like live by this idea of organized chaos. Um, Especially when I'm raising my kids, because for them, you know, we're moving from place to place, which is normal. That's normal for a lot of people. Maybe they have family or parents in the military or whose parents also um, move for work. So they're growing up in a really unorthodox way. And so trying to create a stable home and stable foundation that looks the same no matter where we are right it feels the same has been my new focus in life rather than planning and being you know so tied to that idea of normalcy and planning and that type of thing if that makes sense is there a moment or a year or anything that you remember that like that hit you that like okay I have to let go of the thought that I can plan, you know, I have to be flexible. Yes. Flexibility. Oh my goodness. That is huge for me because like I said, I used to be a planner. Cause I'm still struggling. Yeah. I used to be a planner. Everything needed to be just so, but I felt like it was causing so much mm-hmm. tension and stress in my life when mm-hmm. things were not going according to plan. It caused several like misunderstandings, miscommunications, even in my relationships with friends, family, um, my husband, and everybody's like, he actually told me this one time. And then I think from that moment on, I was like, huh, you're right. Let me, uh, which never happens. I, he's never right. Um, <laughs> They're not. So, never. <laughs> no. So I was like, he was like, listen, you keep trying to tell me that you want to do this, this and that. And you want the kids to do this, this, and that, but your gauge and everything that you're making these ideas and expectations on uh, or expectations about is based off of a normal mm-hmm. life, quote unquote, mm-hmm. normal life. And I'm like, huh, you're right. And that's why I'm not being able to accomplish these things is because that's just not the life that I live. I think he's the one who helped open my eyes to the idea that I had to kind of be like a 
focus more on a, a moving target and be okay yeah. with that yeah. rather than than um, the latter. That's so funny to me because I hear it and I get it 100%. And very specifically, as in, you know, NBA family, that is not a normal life, right? And then I apply to myself as well, right? We're in film and television business, both of us. That is not a normal life. Um, mm-hmm. And my, my critique of myself is I've been saying for probably 15 years, when things slow down, I'm going to do X. When things slow down, I mean, I heard myself one day and I was like, oh my God, I've been saying this for a long time. But also thinking about normalcy from the standpoint of most of us. Now, granted, let's just say most of the people I know. And that's film, TV, advertising, et cetera, like all kinds of professions. But most of us aren't working in whatever our parents were working in. And Mm -hmm. so normal, to a certain extent, we don't even know what that means. Like, sure, NBA, we can all agree is different. Film and TV, we can all agree is a different kind of different. But many of us are judging ourselves against either how we grew up or what we saw on TV, like normal doesn't really exist. We have this imagination of like, we're going to do this at 6 p.m. And then we're, you know, we're going to have dinner at this time and we're going to put them to bed. And we have to like recreate that and redefine that within our own homes. And I hear you saying it and I'm still saying it again to put it in my head because it is not, it has not sunk in. I have not had the, huh, I hear you. But I I haven't made the adjustment. Let me put it that way. I haven't made the adjustment. That's exactly it. I mean, how many times I've quoted something that said, there's no such thing as normal, right? What is normal anyways? Um, (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, this is true. Because every single person is going to live a different life and their situation is going to feel normal to them. Um, (laughs) but really it's subjective what normal is. And giving credit to husbands, uh, you, you quoted yours. Mine says when people ask us about black love and like how much we've learned since interviewing all these couples, I'm like, he says, now I say, um, that we've learned so much and it's given us so many tools and tips and tricks to have a better relationship, to communicate better, to avoid pitfalls, but it's not the same as committing it to muscle memory. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I might know the answers, but that's not the Mm -hmm. same as like doing it and getting it right. So that's the practice. That's the struggle (laughs) probably of life. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm I'm a marriage and family therapist. So, you know, I'm not perfect, but I can definitely tell somebody else what I think that they can possibly be doing to make things a little bit more easy for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, you don't, I don't always practice what I preach. It's hard when you're in it. Yeah. And it's, it's just hard to remove yourself from the situation and your own emotions and everything that's wrapped up in it Mm -hmm. and see it from an outside perspective. So that's why it's good to have good husbands that will, will help us remind us of these things. Every once in a while. Yes. They say something (laughs) useful. (laughs) So that's another place where we are well, where you did something that I wanted to do. But again, I'm totally happy. Like <laughs> in, in some ways, I've gone down this path of marriage and family therapy by doing a show about marriage. But I, you know, that was the first choice for me was studying psychology. I didn't because I was like, well, I need to go to business school because I need to, you know, my parents were entrepreneurs. And so I need to like understand business. And yeah, so I didn't. Then I studied mm-hmm. journalism. But anyway, but it's always been a fascination of mine, clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So now I'm really curious. I remember reading that about you 
somewhere when I was learning all of these random details and was like, wow, I just, you know, she's amazing. Um, (laughs) But how do you do it? Like, how do you, what does that literally look like? How many hours a day do you spend talking to clients, patients, whatever you call them versus parenting and wifing and running these other businesses? How does, how is your life structured? Okay. So, (laughs) I mean, I will try to give you like a quick rundown of what that looked like and how I it came to be. Yeah. So um I got my my master's in um clinical psychology with a, a specialization in marriage and family therapy. Uh, the licensing process should take about two years. It took me about six years. Mm-hmm. Um why just why because, what was happening? Well I was moving from place to place, when you are working as a therapist, it's difficult because you want to be, you have to be there for your clients. When yeah. I first started out, there was no tele or e-therapy. Yeah. There was none of that. Like we actually were taught like, this is not a safe and secure way to do therapy um, when I was in school. So that's a whole different wow. thing now. And that we rely on that like so much now. But um, when I was practicing. I was in school. I was working in community centers. Um, I've worked inpatient with children. I've worked in adolescents and, and then I've worked in outpatient with children and adolescents, um, different community, different families and, and community centers. And it just took a lot of time to get through the yeah. licensure process. You have yeah. to have so many hours of supervised experience and moving back and forth, I would be working for five or six months and then not working for five or six months. And it's like back and forth, back and forth. And that's why my journey took a little bit longer, but I was determined. And I always feel like even if it's a slow crawl, you know, progress is progress. Yeah, absolutely. So then I had my son and I was going to work and I was extremely miserable. Where were you at this point? What city? I was in Oklahoma and okay. I was working at a Votech called um, Francis Tuttle. They had a alternatives high school on campus called Project Hope, which actually was a really cool school. And I was working there as a the school therapist. And I would like come to work. And that's another, another thing a lot of people don't know about me. It wasn't until I started opening my businesses that I stopped actually seeing clients. Gotcha. And so I would go to work. And I would just be sad. I got pregnant eventually with my son, Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just be sad leaving him at home. And so then I, I stuck it out for the year. I went back the next year. I got pregnant with the girls, which was really challenging, that pregnancy. Um, I'm sure you probably know. It's, it was yeah probably the hardest thing ever in my life that I had to deal with. But, and also to be clear, it was one year after you had your son, right? That you were pregnant was, again. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Was, maybe. Listen, I think back and I'm like, what the heck happened? Like, I can't <laughs> even believe my baby was a baby when my babies were born. Yeah. Girl. It was insane. <laughs> it was not a smart move. So anyhow, <laughs> Um, so anyhow, like I was going to work and I was just sick and I was tired and I was like, okay, I have to figure something else out because I don't want to just sit. I always want to be learning and, Mm -hmm. and experiencing new things and growing. And so I decided to go your route into like the more entrepreneurship 
avenue and mm-hmm. lane and try to figure out and connect with my my passion for retail, my passion for bringing families together. And that's when I went to the little, I opened the little art. Love that. I don't even remember what you asked me anymore, but that was a long story. We'll get there. It was, it's, it's the trajectory. This is, you're, you're catching us up. So the little arc is a store for kids. Is it clothes only? Is it accessories and things too? So the little arc is like a, it's a lifestyle boutique, but we have a um, back room where we do mommy and me classes, milk bars. Um, We partnered with local women's hospitals and they come in and bring doctors to answer questions um, and host weekly milk bars. And and we do CPR and first aid certifications and all of that type of thing. Now, we haven't been able to do that since COVID. But I'm so I can't wait to get back to providing that community, that Mm -hmm. community aspect I wanted to bring to the little art since I was going to be missing it and not seeing clients. Mm, I have lots of questions about virtual opportunities there, but we can do that another day. So you stopped seeing clients, opened this business, and then what? Because then at some point you guys moved to L.A. And then we got (laughs) we we were traded. Mm-hmm. to Houston, oh, which the Little Ark is still very much so up and yep. doing really well. And, you know, I, I just love it there. I built, I built everything exactly the way I love. It's really sad that I don't get to go there every day anymore. We moved to Houston. And before that, though, we were in LA and I decided that, that, for, that uh, for a year, I was thinking about um, starting a kid's clothing brand. Mm-hmm. And so it just happened to be that I was no longer in Oklahoma where I was having to spend as much time um, at the store. And so I was like, well, let me pursue this situation. Yeah. So I did that. COVID happened. It was completely chaotic and such yeah. a challenge trying to produce clothes right. and do anything at that time. But somehow we were able to launch. And I also, during that process, really wanted to connect back to my mental health background Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. figure out a way that made sense for me to to be of service in that way without actually having to see clients face to face yeah and that's when I started ninawestbrook.com where it's just a place that serves as a as a resource for information um Mm -hmm. We have different guest writers come on and and share their take on whether it be mental physical or um community health Love it. So Mini Brook, which is the kids clothing line, right? And there's also mm-hmm. lunch boxes and things, right? Yes. We did okay. a collaboration with, with Simple Modern, who, who makes lunch bells and water bottles. So that is what you were working on, let's say, in the 2019, 2020 pandemic hits, and it slows things down. But you still launched it. Yes. I had been working on Mini Brook before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were... I was in sampling process and getting samples back and everything before the actual, like probably a year for a year prior to the pandemic happening. Yeah. And then we were trying, we were in production during the the pandemic, which is what really slowed us down Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's produced in LA and all of the factories were closed down for months. And even when they came back, people would get COVID and they would have to shut oof, back down. Oof, um, the, yeah. And everybody's operating on low, low, you know, with low numbers. And so it's just been all the regulations. It's It's been yeah. a challenge, but 
yeah, we were able to get it done. It's, yeah. It wasn't on time like it was supposed to, like the, the planning aspect. But, um, you know, I'm used to things not going according yeah. to, to plan. So do you feel like you now handle those pivots pretty well or did that hurt? You know, like I can only imagine, you know, you're ready to launch something or, you know, in this year did a number no. on all of us. No, I mean, you like, you know, mm-hmm. I have so much stuff going on at my house on a daily. <laughs> if I were to get upset over, I can't get upset over Anything. Over everything. Yeah. No, I don't get upset <laughs> over any. The only time I get really upset is if one of my kids gets like very hurt. Yeah. Then I'm like, you know, then yeah. I'm upset. But aside from that, I just try to take everything with a grain of salt and just work with what I'm given. You know what I just realized is a twin mom lesson that is like a life lesson. What is that? So you know we have we have twins, <laughs> all of us, and we have an older child who's not much older. And one of my first lessons, the first week or two was someone's always crying. Like no matter what I do, no how if you have one baby, you can snuggle them. You can snuggle them and the crying stops or whatever. You can feed them. You can do the things. When you have two, someone's going to cry and you can't do anything about it. And that mm-hmm. just has to be okay. And that was a big lesson for me that I took to pretty quickly I don't know about you, but for me, like it hurt at first. It was like, oh, I'm holding this baby, but the other baby's right there crying. But Mm -hmm. I quickly just realized like, it's okay. He's going to cry and I'll get over there when I get over there. And that Mm -hmm. reminds me of your, (laughs) your launch. It's like the production is, is, is whatever it is right now. It's, it's not happy and it'll be okay. It's going to be okay. And you know, and that's a perfect analogy. I think that there's so much that's going on right now for my own mental health purposes. I have to choose to be okay with things not going accordingly like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to do better at it. So this is a good conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you say, what is a a sacrifice? Because you've made a lot of them, but what would you say was the hardest for you to wrap your head around, to... I don't know, but what of of all of these twists and turns has been the biggest challenge for you? I think that just sacrificing my passions and the things that I've always sought out to do to kind of take a back burner to the needs of our family. I think Mm -hmm. that was probably the biggest sacrifice for me. And then obviously now as a mom, I probably sacrifice everything. And that's just kind Every of day. how <laughs> life has been. But but putting my career on hold, I feel like is probably was, was the biggest sacrifice for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you mean specifically like that six years, especially? Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to open a private practice. That was my goal. Um, when I set out as a marriage and family therapist, that's probably the goal of most people when they enter into school. Yeah. Um, is it still a goal? Well, for me, it's, it's just, it's hard trying to figure out how to, that's the other part of it. In Oklahoma, when I was practicing, when I was practicing in California, it was, it was a little better because I was very much so under the radar there. But my husband being in the public eye, it kind of, and Oklahoma being a little bit of a small town, 
it made it challenging to practice and maintain the therapeutic relationships that I needed to foster with my clients. Yeah. When they knew or found out who my husband was. Yeah. So much of therapy is based on your relationship with the person because if you don't trust somebody, right, or you're it doesn't feel pure, then it's hard to connect and really um, reach those aha moments. And yeah. Um, yeah. so that has been challenging. Right. That's a barrier I didn't even think about. Yeah. 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 And so I don't remember what your question was, but <laughs> I, you got I that, I you got that mom brain, <laughs> mom brain all day, every day. Yes. I, I was wondering if that's still a goal and, um, you know, and I really asked because obviously we need as many black therapists as we can in this world. Right. And so maybe it just looks different. You know, maybe it's creating a practice that you're not necessarily the main therapist, but you are you put together a beautiful team of right. people who OK, like so I'm back on track. <laughs> you, like you said, it, it's. I've been trying to figure out and racking my brain on how to make it work now today yeah Uh, maybe years from down the line it's not going to be an issue for me but today in order to make the impact and have the impact and be of service the way that I would like to yeah um, I'm having to exercise or look into different avenues and ways to do that I've thought about workshops online workshops Mm. and different things like that yep um and I have actually thought about what you just mentioned uh, having a practice um, and maybe overseeing and not necessarily seeing clients. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good, that's something to to really consider. But I have, that's why I have my mental health platform, which mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be able to get the message and get the information out that I would like to share as a way to kind of fill that void for me until yeah. I figure out the next steps. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think that there's nothing that we need more right now than platforms, social pages, access to mental health. And yes. the, the more of it it is, the, the, the more of it there is, the more of it that comes from people who look like us, I think the more our community will be, it will just be the norm. That's where normal is good. Yeah. That's normalized yes. mental health. <laughs> That's when... Because it is normal and that is something that is normal for everybody. We all have um, our mental health to to take care of each of us individually. And so that is definitely a norm. Couple of questions for you. What does vulnerability look like for you? For me, I think vulnerability looks like asking for help when I need help like a lot of women, especially a lot of women in communities of color, Black Mm -hmm. women, we are so used to wearing so many hats and juggling and taking care of everybody and and getting to ourselves last and putting ourselves to the side to make sure that we're nurturing all of the other relationships that we have. So I feel like in order to be my best and in order to really put forth the energy and the attention that things in my life need. I have to be able to accept and ask for help when I need it and not think that I can just do everything 
And that is being vulnerable because I don't, I'm naturally not a person who likes to ask for help. Mm, Yeah, I feel that for sure. (laughs) So what does, what does joy look like for you? Joy looks like every single morning waking up and going to see my kids. Girl, I know. (laughs) I really (laughs) It just doesn't change that, you know, it's the happiest time is getting up and seeing them for the first time for the day. Yeah. Honestly, mine certainly made the last year a lot easier. There was nothing, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of challenge. There was a lot of fear, but their innocent faces and their big smiles just made it like, I, I feel so grateful to have them as a distraction for lack of a better word, but also to have them as my focus. Absolutely. What do you wish you spent more time doing five years ago? I wish I spent more time doing what I wanted to do and not caring what anybody else thought about it Mm -hmm. or felt about it. Um, Just because it's so different when you have children that become the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Five years ago, you did not have those. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Five years ago, I was childless. And I feel like I could have been so productive and progressive in my personal journey um, as far as my career goals Mm -hmm. prior to having my kids. And that would have also helped probably with a lot of resentment that Mm -hmm. I've had over the years for sacrificing and so much and, and kind of not feeling the best about where I am and in relation to where I want to be. You made me think of something. You have a degree in psychology, so hopefully we can unpack this together. (laughs) We all talk about the word resentment, and I can 100% see how you or anyone in your environment where you're making a lot of decisions, you're making a lot of moves for your partner. There can be resentment because you're making sacrifices for, you know, that you want to do. How much of resentment is fair, I guess, is a question. Like, to your point, there are things that you could do, diff- you could have done differently to prioritize yourself. Mm-hmm. But you only see that in hindsight. The word resentment, I'm really just trying to unpack the word resentment because I've never thought about it this way. But if we look at it one way, we could just take it back. We could take back whatever we're resentful for. Mm-hmm. But in the other way, we're usually just mad at the other person. Right. Like I'm trying to. I think that resentment doesn't always only have to be towards other people. Mm, Yeah. A lot of times we might make decisions that we know are not best for us and we might hold ourselves hostage to those decisions and have and, and, and fostered negative feeling and guilt and maybe self blame and self self doubt. Yeah. And it can manifest in that way. I think that. You're absolutely right. Everybody makes choices. Yeah. And it's weird to make a choice and then resent someone else for it later. Yeah. It's not weird. I think it's common. I think, no, I was going to say, it's a natural, (laughs) I think it's a natural emotion, unfortunately, that we all kind of, well, not everyone, but but it comes about naturally. That's why it takes time and you learn and you experience these things. You have to kind of go through them in order to grow. Yeah. And I think that on the other end the other side of it, once you have been through it and experienced it and learned from it, you become 
you come out on the uh, a better person on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, and you learn things about yourself that that help you to navigate that moving forward where you don't necessarily have to deal with those same types of emotions and feelings again. For me, that was prioritizing myself. Yeah. And doing what I wanted to do and finding a way to make that happen no matter what the situation seemed like if yeah. it seemed like it wasn't okay or seemed like it wasn't the right time and maybe too what i'm learning is that when i feel resentment i should always look at what can i be doing differently you know whether it's Absolutely. toward a person or a thing or whatever but it's like okay now i feel it how can i take back what I want to get from this instead of continuing to sacrifice myself. Right. And it's like, it's basically you want to be in control. Everybody's in control of their own life, whether you, whether you, you believe it or not. Yeah. It's just a matter of mindset. And once you understand and once you, kind of like when you would go through that experience and you're feeling resentment, once you learn how to, like you said, think your way out of it and yeah. figure out what it is, what it is that you need to do to make yourself okay in this situation. Like what makes you comfortable being here? You have to be here. What do I need to do to make this okay? Right. Then that is definitely going to help you to, to not get those feelings of resentment. Yeah. Or, or to work through them. Yeah. The feeling of resentment is a wake up call. It's like, okay, what do I need to change? Ooh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what failure have you learned the most from? I mean. Or even what loss? Because I know that word failure can be tricky. I feel, I mean, yes. Okay. So I can answer the question. It's just hard because I, I look at everything as a learning experience yeah, and yeah. I'm out here to learn and grow. So I know going into things that I'm not necessarily the best or the smartest or going to make all the right choices um, from the jump. I yeah. do not like taking big risks. Yeah. So I try to steer away from that. But as far as business goes, I mm-hmm. think that I have definitely taken some losses and had to learn how to do things in a better way. I think that, but I feel like it's all a part of the process though. It's part of yeah, and how yeah. you get better. And that would, I would say it's probably one of my biggest failures is, is, is making mistakes and, and not, I don't know, maybe doing things too quickly taking on too much <laughs> yeah but then like, learning I don't know. and that's what matters but yeah. yeah yeah I think you just learn from it and you and you correct it you find solutions which I'm very solution oriented and and you and you make the best of it mm-hmm. my biggest fear of a failure would be to like traumatize my kids in any way I feel like as long as I'm not doing that I'm doing okay in the world and that's the most that I can ask for yeah, no, I, I totally agree. <laughs> what is like one lesson you hope to teach your kids or one thing you hope to instill in them? I just want them to know that or I would like to instill in them the most confidence and 
self-love that I can because I think that's what happened to me. Yeah. And yeah. with my family. And I feel like if someone believes in themselves, this sounds so so cliche. Not but really me, if child. you if someone believes in themselves and, and they have confidence in themselves, yeah. they're gonna have confidence in their choices. They're yeah. gonna be confident about asking for what they want and not settling for what they don't need. They're gonna be confident and reassured that they are everything. Yeah. And they are deserving. And that will take you, I feel like, everywhere you need to go in life. So either that's every parent everywhere or we're twinning again, because that is exactly what I say. And especially, I think, raising Black children, I just want them to know that they are perfect exactly as they are. I want them to look at anybody crazy who thinks otherwise. Like, <laughs> confidence and self-love is exactly what I hope to give them every single day so I don't know what it is but we are on the same page yet again we're basically the same person Um, well, I really could do this all day, but I realized that you have to go raise children and run businesses and, <laughs> and be a wife. And, uh, I should probably do the same. I am taking away so much from this for sure. I mean, it's just a lot of lessons from letting go of whatever I thought was supposed to be normal, normal parenting, normal wifing, normal, you know, family household behavior. Um, and certainly I would say one of the biggest lessons from this conversation is, you know, teaching myself that resentment is a checkpoint for realizing that I need to do something differently. I need to take mm -hmm. back me and what's important yes. to me. So before we close, can you tell folks how to follow you and anything that we should be looking out for? besides all the amazing kiddo products at Minibrook and our mental yes. wellness fix at uh, ninawestbrook.com. <laughs> um, I mean, this is okay. Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Nina Westbrook. This is so weird to me. <laughs> and, but no, really go check out my website, nina-westbrook.com. Just because I feel like it's, there's a, a lot of great perspectives and information and tips. I'm yeah. all about giving tips um, for anyone who's looking to to um, cultivate mental health or mm -hmm. cultivate their their physical wellness. That's what I would say is ninawestbrook.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, yeah. Go do your mama thing and your, and yes, your entrepreneur thank you thing. Thank for having me. Thanks for joining me on My New BFF. Don't forget to give us a review so others can join us on this journey. And please don't forget to subscribe so you're the first to find out who will be my new BFF.